the Philistines. Then the king sent to, to summon Elimech, uh, the priest, and Aetab, and all his father's house. The priests were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Aetab. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of, of God for him, so that he was, has rise, risen against me, to lie in wait as at this day? Then, uh, then Elimech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the son, king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, And turn, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not, not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn and strike the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of the Elimech, and the sons of Aetab, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was, here, was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Silence this because I'm going to bend it. Mute this. Didn't want everybody to go deaf with that thing reaching or screeching as I did that. Um, all right, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, uh, we sang uh, this morning that um, all I have is Jesus, that um, uh, all I have is Christ. What a beautiful thought, Lord. Uh, we have nothing, but we have everything because we have Jesus, and thank you for that. And Lord, to sing at the end uh, that song about from um, Fernando Ortega, um, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus, and when I'm alone, give me Jesus, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And, and you can have the whole world, just give me Jesus. Uh, Lord, that is the blessing that we have as, as um, Christ's people, as those you've drawn to yourself. And we're so grateful. And Lord, this morning I want to pray especially for my sister Joanne Sadler, who is laying in the hospital. And really, she has 
nothing. All she has is you. Her, her family is gone. Her husband died years ago. Her daughter died a few years ago. She's on her own. She's by herself. And Lord, all she can have is you. And so Lord, would you meet her right this moment, right now, give her a, a very clear present sense of you being with her, of your love for her, of your care for her. Lord, would you fill her with faith and get her through the, the struggle that she faces, through the depression, through the, the seeming hopelessness as she's moved from one thing to the next thing through the medical process. And Lord, give her grace. Give her abundant grace. Fill her with faith. Strengthen her. Lord, may she continue to call out to you until you answer. Because Lord, I know that Joanne would be singing with us, all I have is Christ. That's all she can have. And so Lord, have mercy on her. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are providing care for her. Lord, that they would not just keep running test after test to see what the next thing is, but Lord, that they would develop a really clear, coherent plan and help her get the knee replacement done, get her back home and settled. And, and Lord, would you just give her strength to make it through that, help her to make some clear and wise decisions and have mercy on her, Lord. Father, we want to pray also for Katie uh, Crawford's mom who's uh, going in for tests for cancer this week. Lord, I pray that she has a better experience with the medical um, system, that, that they do some diagnostic tests, get a clear reading on what the uh, issues are, what they're facing, and, and develop a clear pan, plan of care for her. And so uh, thank you again, Lord. I think I just always am amazed at your providence and your timing that, that uh, the Crawfords moved back just in time for this to happen so they could be there for, uh, for her mom. And uh, thank you for that kindness that you extended to them. And, and we miss them. We wish they were still here, but uh, we're grateful for you using them to care for her. And so uh, bless that whole family as they go through that process as well. And Lord, as we turn now to your word, um, I just want to disappear and I want Jesus to be really big. Would you do that this morning, Lord? Show yourself to be really, really big. Tune our hearts to love you more, we pray. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, since the pandemic, have you noticed when you go to the store and you check out on the pin pad, you're seeing more things that say tip? Like I went to a gas station and got a bottle of water and they wanted to know what I wanted to tip. I'm like, are you nuts? I'm not tipping you. The other thing that they do through those pin pads is uh, enter your phone number and, and we'll give you this loyalty program. You can sign up for our loyalty program. And uh, like at Albertsons, if you go there, every time you go there, it's, the first screen up is enter your phone number. What do you get out of that? Why would I enter my phone number? What do they do? Well, they actually, they do have some decent rewards. They track how much you, you spend, and you can get up to a dollar off a gallon of gas whenever you fill up. That's not bad. You get coupons. They'll mail you coupons. They'll give you electronic coupons. Um, you can get free groceries if you get enough points, a dollar per point, and you get enough, and you can get some free groceries. That's not bad. It's even better if you put the app on your phone, and then you can get all that stuff immediately. You don't have to wait till it comes in the mail. It's called a loyalty program. So what does the grocery store get out of that? What do they get from that? Because, I mean, think about how much money they're spending to do this. They've got to have the, the uh, servers, the database. They've got to change their uh, cash register system. They've got to track all that. They're spending money on that dollar for gas doesn't just come out of nowhere. So they spend a lot of money. What do they get out of that? 
Well, ideally, they get your loyalty, right? Because you know, you'll go to the grocery store, and I need milk and eggs, and oh, I got a coupon for 50 cent off on, on some milk. So I guess I'll go to Albertsons and get that there. So hopefully, they'll get your return business. But they actually get a lot more than that. There's, there's so much more. There's so many hidden things behind those loyalty programs. It's not like you get ripped off, but what do they get? Well, they get a lot, actually, because when you sign up, you have to give them some personal information, at least your phone number, probably your name, probably your address, that kind of thing. And so what do they do with that? Well, there's an a, a investigative data reporter. That's, that's a title. What do you do? I'm an investigative data reporter. I report on data for an online website called The Markup. They do data analysis reporting, that kind of stuff. So John Keegan is one of the reporters, and, and he recently wrote about that. He said they take that information and they enrich it. What they do is they go to a third-party data broker, and they take that information and they give it to them, and they kind of use it to create a broader profile of who you are as a shopper. This can include demographic information about your race and ethnicity, your financial information, your employment status, and even some of your online browsing activity. So it's quite a bit of information they're collecting. And I think most people are expecting it's just, you know, what type of chips I bought this week. But it's actually quite a bit more information. So I don't know if you know it, you have something called an, an uh, online internet advertiser's ID. And, and it is what tracks everything you do online. Have you ever Googled something and then go to Facebook and you got 4,000 ads on it? That's because of that ID. You don't know what it is, you don't know how it works, but it tracks you across the internet. What the grocery stores are doing is they're marrying up the data that you use in the grocery store to that information, and they're building a bigger profile of you. So what do they do with that? Well, actually, they make a lot of money off that. Kroger, this is uh, John Keegan again, Kroger has its own data sciences company within its corporate structure. Kroger, the grocery store chain, we, we don't have them out here, we're fixing to because they're about to buy at Albertsons. Kroger has its own data sciences company within its corporate structure and this company is part of a group of alternative profit businesses under that umbrella that they expect will make billion dollars in profit for them per year. A billion dollars of profit off of your loyalty card. So I don't want you to be paranoid here and think, oh, they're tracking me across the internet and everything. As far as the internet is concerned, you're a data point. They don't care about you as an individual. They're, they're not going to hunt you down. It's, it's never been abused. And when it has gotten close to being abused, the government's there. And, and there are probably 3.45 miles worth of lawyers lining up to sue in those cases. But that's the data that all comes together and it builds a profile of who you are. So up front, when you walk up and you say, yeah, I'll sign up for that, that uh, loyalty program, I get coupons. They get some information about me, but I get coupons. And it might even benefit me because if they're tracking my, my purchases, they'll give me coupons about things I buy, not just junk coupons I get like in the mail. What you don't know is what does that loyalty cost you? What are you paying for that loyalty? What is Kroger making off of that loyalty? There's a whole bunch you don't see a whole bunch going on behind the scenes. And that's kind of what's going on this morning in chapter 22, is we get this picture of two kings, right? They've been, they've been showing up quite a bit. We get David and we get Saul. And the question this morning is, what will the loyalty cost you to these two kings? That, that's the picture that's being drawn. 
So uh, let's take a look at this. I'm not going to necessarily go vi verse by verse because it's kind of a long section. <laughs> Thank you, John, for making it all the way through there. I appreciate that, buddy. Um, <laughs> names are hard, you know. Um, when we left in 2002, when I retired and we moved, uh, Ramey, our music minister at the time, sang a song for our family. And one of the jokes was me mispronouncing words in, in scripture. So I'm right there with you, brother. Um, so I'm not going to go verse for verse for this because it's a long section, but I, I want to do some summing up and, and hit some high points in this. So where is David? Well, it says at the beginning, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So he escaped from where? Well, remember David's story so far. Um, he slayed Goliath. He was put on Saul's staff. He was a successful general, and Saul got paranoid about him. Saul decided that he wanted to kill David, and so he sent some men to David's house to kill him or arrest him, and David fled. And he fled from there, and he met with, with uh, Jonathan, and Jonathan said, my dad would never do that. And if they devised this plan to find out what, Jonathan, or what uh, Saul was actually thinking, and, and the message gets back to David, flee. Don't even slow down. Get out of here. Dad's mad. He is really over the moon. And so he runs, and he ran to the priests of Nob, the, 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 where the, uh, the um, tabernacle was at the time. And he goes to the priests, and the, he goes in, and the, king, the priest says, all I've got is the showbread, which I'm willing to give to you because mercy is better than following nitnoid points of the law. So take this, and he says, do you have any weapons? I got Goliath's sword. And so he takes Goliath's sword. And where did David go after that? Well, he, he is assuming, I think, that Saul's men are still chasing him. So he has to go someplace where he can lose Saul's men. He's all by himself. He's told the priest, oh, I'm going to meet the young men, my troop. I'm going to meet them at such and such a place. I haven't got anybody with me yet. So what's he going to do? And he runs to Gath of all places. Um, Gath is, is Philistine territory, so Saul's men would stop chasing him. But he gets there, and then he realizes, oh, wait, I'm in Gath. <laughs> and what am I going to do now? How do I get out of here without getting executed? So he pretends to be insane. And they just drive him out, now go away. And so that's where we pick up the story here is David departed from there. He departed from Gath, and he went to Adul the cave of Adullam. Where is Adullam? Well, it's about 10 miles back in toward um, Philistine or, uh, uh, Israeli territory. So it's back in the foothills, not very far, but he, he comes back. And so when he gets there, um, apparently he still hasn't met up with his men. He's, he's apparently still on his own, but people begin to come out to him. And so his, his brothers and his father heard, and they join him. Um, so his family, if, if Saul is going to kill David, his family is not safe. And so they flee to David, too. They say, what are we going to do? Um, it's his brothers and his father. So earlier, when uh, they were concocting the story to tell Saul about why David wasn't there, I, I thought maybe it was because his father was dead. He says, my, my brother has commanded me to come to the sacrifice. Well, I was wrong because his father is apparently still alive. But I think that means that his elder brother is in charge of the clan. So his brothers and his family come and they join him. Um, not necessarily a big military advantage here. Uh, his father is old. His brothers have been in war, so maybe they'd be some good fighters. And then who else joins them? Verse 2, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who is bitter and sold gathered to him. So he got the, the, the finest of Israel has joined him. People who are in distress, they're, they're in big trouble, they're out of money, 
and they're depressed. They're bitter in soul. That's who joins him. And so David's troop is now five, 400 people, and they're with him at the cave. They probably weren't all in the cave. The cave probably couldn't suit or uh, sit 400 people, but that's his troop. That's the people who are following him. And so David gathers the people together, and he realizes he's going to have to be on the move. He can't drag his father around. His father and mother are probably too old to be moving around. And so what he does is he goes from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he says to the king of Moab, let my mother and my father stay with you until I know what God's going to do for me. So he's still got his faith. He's still, he's still trusting. I don't know what God's up to yet, but I can't drag my parents around. So let me leave them here. Why did he go to Moab? Well, I think it's a similar tactic. It's not like Saul's going to go charging into Moab to arrest his family. That would, be, that would invite a war. But don't forget who David is. He's got an, a family connection to Moab. His great-grandmother was Ruth, the Moabitess. And so maybe he's got some family connections there. Maybe because Ruth married into a very prominent uh, Israeli family, a Hebrew family, so perhaps they maintain some contact, and, and he has some friendly relationship with the Moabites, some family relationship. Um, his father would certainly be closer to Ruth than he was. She was his great-grandmother, so would have been his, mom, his dad's grandmother. So that's the plan, is I'll take him there. And, and uh, the king agrees, and so they stay. And it says in verse 4, they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Not exactly sure what that's talking about, but it's apparently a, some sort of stronghold still in Moab. But then this, this prophet, Gad, comes and says, don't remain here. Um, return to the land of Judah. And so that's, that's what David does is he departs and he goes into the forest of Hereth. So he's, he's now on the move, and he's got some people with him. Um, not the best and brightest, but they're, they're there, and they're moving around with him. Um, so Gad has already come and told him, it's clear God is still watching over David because a prophet came and told him. So God's giving him communication. Saul doesn't get that. We'll see that later on in his life. So what's up with Saul then? Now the scene changes, and we switch over to Saul. So Saul had heard that David was discovered, and because Gad said, get out of the stronghold and get back into Judah, apparently he was discovered to be in Moab. So that, that seems to be what the word is that got back to uh, Saul. And so what's Saul doing? David's in a cave and now he's in a forest and he's got a bunch of losers with him, uh, people in distress and dis depressed and, and out of money, and, and that's who he's got. What's Saul got going on? Saul's actually looking pretty good. Uh, he is sitting at Gibeah, his hometown. So friendly, friendly territory. He's in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree, um, with a spear in his hand. So the spear so far has been his, his symbol of power. It's kind of like his scepter. Um, but he's chill. He's, he's sitting under a tree. He is surrounded by servants. So all of these people that he's gathered to himself, all that he's drawn into his court, they're standing around him. Uh, these, he is at ease. There's nobody threatening him. He's got guards. He's got all of this. Um, and so he's, he's gathered like that. He says, here now, people of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? He's not saying um, David can't do that. He's saying, look, look what I've done for you. I have given you vineyards and fields. I have made, I've given you power. I've given you uh, command of, of armies. Can David do that? No. So the situation here is just drastically night and day. David is absolutely powerless underfunded, 
under-equipped, and Saul's got it all going on. He's got everything. He's got everybody lined up. He's doling out favors to people he likes. So you're an average uh, Hebrew at the time, just living a substance life, you know, subsistence life, um, um, tending the sheep, um, you know, whatever kind of job it is. You know the song. Everybody knows the song. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. It plays on the radio all the time. We know the story. So you get this, two, this picture of these two guys. What are you going to do? Who do you side with? Who are you going to be loyal to? Do you go with David or do you go with Saul? Well, it depends on what you're looking for. If you want to win, you go with Saul. Saul's got the power. He's got the authority. He's the legitimate king of Israel. He's, got, he's surrounded with servants. He's doling out favors. And he's got the power to do it because he's the king. He was anointed by Samuel. So if you want to win, you go with Saul. He's the guy. He's tall. He's handsome. He's had some military victories. He's killed his thousands. This is the guy you want to be with. What does that loyalty cost you? What's the, the, the upfront cost is, well, you know, I go hang out with him um, and I get all these benefits. I get coupons. Um, what's the hidden cost? What's behind that? Well, the man's not particularly stable. He continues saying, uh, can David do all of that, that you have conspired against me? He's paranoid. You're all out to get me. He's, he's surrounded with these, these, these people who are, are, you know, attending to him, and he says, you're all out to get me. You're, comp you're conspiring against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Nobody told me about this. Why are you people not reporting this to me? This is important stuff. None of you is sorry for me. Sorry for him. Sitting under a tamarisk tree, surrounded by servants, doling out favors. None of you are sorry for me. Or disclose to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it did stay. My son has stirred up my... He thinks Jonathan has stirred up David to attack him. The man's not mentally stable. He, he's, he's getting worse every time we see him, it seems. So the price then is actually pretty high. There's, there's the, the cost. That's putting your personal information in, is you've got to deal with this guy who's not quite stable. So, yeah, he can, he can give me wealth and he can give me power, but he can also get a little weird. He tried to kill David a number of times. This, this has got some cost. This isn't a freebie. But actually what you don't see is the cost is really, really high. Look what happens next. Doag, the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul. He is in his inner circle. Remember, we met Doag earlier. He is the keeper of Saul's flocks. The flock, having a flock in Israel in that day, that was your bank account. That was your 401k. That was your credit card. That was your wealth. Doag is well-placed in Saul's entourage. Doag the Edomite said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Atub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So Doag is now telling tales. He's, he's saying, this is what I saw. He's, he's narking on him. This is too much for Saul. Now he's really mad. And so he summons uh, Ahimelech and he, sa he says, hey, is this true? Did you do this? And now look at it from Ahimelech's perspective. When he saw David come up, he was afraid. He was like, why is this general by himself 
what's going on? Have we been routed? And then he, he provides for David. He does the right thing. He was a good person in, in providing for David that way. And now the king calls him. He goes, that must be some of the same business, I guess. Let me go see what the king's, because the king sent David on a mission. Let's go see what the king's got to say. So he shows up to the king, and the king accuses him. Did you do this? Did you give him provisions? Did you give him a sword? And Ahimelech's like, of course. Why would I not? And that's where you get Saul's um, paranoia coming out. You're conspiring against me. And he's like, Saul, who has been more for you than David? Who has been more successful than you for David? I, nobody is better than David for you. What, what are you talking about? And so Saul can't, can't process it. it he, he is the center of the universe. David appears to be against him. Uh, Ahimelech helped him. Therefore, Ahimelech must be a bad guy. And so he turns to his, his guard and he says, kill the priests. Go wipe them all out. Start with Ahimelech who's standing before me. Go to Nob and kill them all. Do you see where the cost went? That loyalty, the cost of the loyalty suddenly went through the roof. Fortunately, his guard won't do it. They're, they're afraid of Saul, but they're more afraid of the Lord. He says, I'm not touching him. But when you have somebody like Saul in charge, somebody who is a little bit paranoid, somebody who's doling out favors to people he likes and, and trying to kill people he doesn't like, what kind of person does that attract? That attracts Doag the Edomite, a man hungry for power and position and place. And so Doag says, if they ain't going to do it, I'll do it. And Doeg goes to Nob, and he kills them all. And listen to the description of this. At Nob, the city of the priest, he put to the sword, both men and women, children and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep, he put all to the sword. Do you remember when Saul was told to go and take out, um, I can't remember which, which country it was, there was one of the people, he was, God specifically said, go wipe them out. And he kept the king alive, and he brought the, the, um, the sheep and the flocks with him. Eda, uh, um, Doag does what Saul wouldn't. He utterly destroys the entire city. Everybody is wiped out. So the costs then to follow this kind of a king become really high. You're going to have to kill. You're going to have to turn against the people that are serving you, the people who are offering sacrifice. You're going to have to put them to the sword. When you back this up and you say, okay, but I don't work for Saul or David, we could look at this in terms of worldly systems. What does the world demand from you? Look, if you just don't worry about that other camp. If you just come with us, you can do whatever you want. You, you can be whatever you want. You can, you can dress whatever you want. You can, you know, everybody will love you. It'll be great. Just follow us. And the world is calling in that way. And just, just be yourself. Be your authentic you. And, and that's what we'll all celebrate. But that's not what the, the hidden costs of that are. The hidden costs are your very soul. They're, they're saying, we're promising you all these great things. We can give you, you can be an instant TikTok success. You can make a ton of money doing um, Instagram stuff. Uh, you can just, you know, show a little skin here maybe or uh, talk a little trash or whatever it is. You can, you can do these things and you can be really huge. That's the pressure the world puts on and says that that's, that's what you get. The cost, though, is huge because it's hard to be faithful in the middle of those things. And, and the way that 
especially social media in general works, is it's better if you attack other people. That's an easiest post, is just go make fun of somebody else. Um, this whole week with everything that's been going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, I've been watching on Twitter both sides. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of ugly on both sides. And that's the lure of the world saying, hey, this is how it works, man. We can make you rich and famous. Just attack somebody else. That's what the world has to offer. The upfront promise is, looks really good. It's a loyalty system. You'll get coupons. The hidden costs are huge. So what about David then? What does David offer you? What does he demand? What is he calling? When people come out to him, what does he say? You got to bring to me. You got to bring me your debt. You got to bring to me, bring to me your distress. I, you know, if you're going to be part of my camp, bring to me your bitter soul, your depression, and come with me. And what his promise is, is he, he's saying, join me in the cave. Join me in the forest. He's not saying, come into the royal city, the imperial city. He's not saying, come into my palace and sit at my feet. But he is saying, bring all of your debts, bring all of, all of your distress, all of your troubles, all of those things, bring them and come with me. And nothing changes. The debts don't disappear. David didn't have the money to throw at those debts. The debts didn't disappear. The distress that these people were feeling, whatever it was, my crop is about to fail. My wife is miscarried again. Um, my family has abandoned me. They've all gone to Saul. I, the, the, the drought is going to wipe out all of my future. I'm in distress. David can't make those, those things go away overnight just because you join him in the cave of Adullam. If you're in debt, you, I owe my neighbor. I borrowed grain from him last year so I could plant, and, and the, the uh, deer got into my crop, and it's, I'm not going to be able to pay him back. I have huge debts. What am I going to do? David didn't dump a bunch of grain in his lap and say, go pay it off. He's come and follow me. What you get when you join with David in the cave or out in the forest is you get the promise. The, the, the problems don't disappear. They don't get better overnight. But you get this promise. You have been accepted. Saul is going to demand so much from you. David says, just come. We'll figure this out. We'll work it out. Let's go do this. Come with me. And I'll try to help. I'll do what I can for you. But I can't do anything at the moment because I'm on the run. I think this is just a beautiful picture of the difference between what the world offers you and what Jesus Christ is offering you. The world is saying, I can give you everything. Man, I can give you power. I can give you money. Just kill the priests. That's all. I mean, that's, not, that's not asking much, is it? But Jesus Christ is saying, don't bring me anything. Just come. I'll deal with your pain. I'll deal with your distress. The difference is the world wants you to be this person, to have this, this persona. You have to be the right type of person, the right looks, the right um, dialogue, the right hipness, the whatever it is, and they'll accept you. And so you can begin to try to bend yourself and turn yourself into something you're not. Whereas Jesus Christ says, come just as you are, and I'll accept you. And then I'll work and change you. I'm not, the, the upfront costs with Jesus are not huge. You just have to give up that promise that the world made to you. 
But once we've done that, we join him in the wilderness. We join him on the run. There's a day coming when Jesus will return and he will ascend to his throne on this earth and he will rule. And that day will be wonderful. It, it won't be vengeance. It won't be cutting up everybody in sight. It won't be mean. It will be perfect justice. It will be absolutely wonderful. And we get to go with him. But we're in the meantime. Jesus has ascended to the throne in heaven. He's left us here. And he's left us here not because he's abandoning us, but because this is the perfect, the right, the best way for it to happen. And that's why we're saved by faith. Though you don't see him, you love him. Though you haven't seen him, you're his. We're walking with him in this wilderness, and we have this great promise, these wonderful, tremendous promises that he's given to us, and we won't see them. We, we won't experience it yet. He, he's, he has slain our enemies. He has destroyed sin, and yet sin still nips at our, our heels. As a matter of fact, Hebrew 12 talks about the sin that so easily ensnares. It, it's still there. It's not gone yet. It's still entangling. It's still tripping up our feet. He's promised us health. Our bodies will be made new. I can personally testify to the fact that mine is not new. <laughs> Mine's getting worse on a regular basis. We're not there yet, but we have the promise. He's promised that we will rule with him, that we will sit on his throne, and we're not. The kingdoms of this earth still rail against him. But we know it's coming. And so Jesus says to us, come and join me out in the wilderness. Come and join me. You don't have to bring anything. Bring your need. We'll deal with that. But right now, just come and follow me. So the, the chapter ends. One of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. So Doag goes into Nob, wipes everybody out, one person makes it out alive, and where does he go? Right to David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doag the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of the persons of your father's house. David does not shy away from his responsibility. He knew when he saw Doeg, what was coming. What could David have done? Doeg, I'm sure, was not there alone. He's a big wig in Saul's uh, court. He, I'm sure he wasn't there alone. He probably had some attendants. David is by himself. He's got Goliath's sword, so he could kill him, but there's no guarantees. So David is looking, he says, I, I knew this guy was going to be trouble, but I couldn't do anything about it. And now, because of me, he's killed all of your family. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, don't think I came to unite the world. I didn't. I came to divide. It'll be house against house, father against son, mother against daughter. That's the price. But the payoff is worth so much. We, can, we can't lose our life. Whoever lays down his life for me will gain his life and more in the kingdom to come. We can't lose by doing this. So, so David looks to Abiathar and says, 
your family's dead because of me. I couldn't have done anything at the moment. Come after me. Come and follow me. And he says, the reason that you should follow me is because your enemy is my enemy. He's after you. He's after me. If you come with me, I can protect you. Will you uh, with me, you will be in safekeeping. With us, in Jesus, though this world is arrayed against us, if we're in Jesus, we're with him for, his, for our safekeeping. He's, he's, cap, he's keeping us. He's holding us, even while we're out in the wilderness running around. So let me go back to that question. Which, which loyalty program are you going to sign up with? What will it cost you to be loyal to Saul? What would it, what would it cost you to hitch your wagon to Saul's, um, Saul's train? At first, it'll be pretty good. I mean, the payoffs are going to be huge. The dude's handing out property like nothing. He can go capture somebody's vineyard and say, it's yours. He can put you in charge of a military unit. You will have power like you wouldn't believe. You'll have a military unit at your disposal. You'll have cash. You'll have property. You'll have uh, weapons of war. What? You're not going to lose with that. That's great. So the man's unstable. He could turn on you at any moment. That spear, that the symbol of his power, could wind up in your chest at some point. And all you have to do is kill the, kill the uh, priests of the Lord. The word the Lord appears a number of times in this passage. Almost every single one of them is the priests of the Lord. The, the section's biggest piece is that description of the discussion between Ahimelech and Saul. The killing of the priests of the Lord is a big deal in this. It's all it'll cost you. I'm not asking you to change your religion. We're still worshiping Yahweh. Just kill the priests. I'm not asking you to leave your country. We're still Israelites. Just kill the priests. The, the, the cost is huge. What does it cost you to go to David? Well, you're going to be chased. You're, you're going to incur some enemies. You're going to have people on your back. But in the end... The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, rested on David, and never left him. In the end, Saul is going to cry out over and over again, what do I do, Lord, and get nothing. David is hiding in a stronghold, and Gad the prophet comes and says, hey, the Lord said, get out of here. Those payoffs don't look as glamorous. Those payoffs don't feel as wonderful, as, as empowering as the cash and the, the, the influence and all of that. But they're so much greater because the Lord is with you. So what does it take to become a Christian? I think Paul summed it up really nice at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He said, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But the Lord chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. By being a loser, you actually are a winner. You can't boast in the presence of God. You can't talk about your pedigree and your whatever it is, your, your social media score or whatever. You, you can't brag about any of that, and therefore you win. So let's join David in the cave and in the forest and see what we get. Let's pray. 
Lord, you have called us, not because we had it all figured out, not because we were so clever, we were so smart that we believed the gospel when others didn't. Lord, you chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Lord, I'm one of the foolish. Lord, you chose the weak things to humble the proud. Lord, we're definitely weak. Lord, you chose that which is not to shame that which is. And Lord, we were not before we were with you. And now we are. So Lord, as we wander in the wilderness, as we're still on the run from Saul and his men, though they are defeated, though the spirit has departed for them, uh, from them, um, Lord, be with us. Grant us strength and faith to trust that you are the one who has legitimate claim to rule this earth. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you exercise that claim. And we ask in Christ's name for the faith to trust in the wilderness. Amen.